Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Metadata. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 222 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in Ann Arbor. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. Before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsors. First of all, a big thank you to Text Expander for sponsoring our show. Communicate smarter with Text Expander. Gather, perfect, and share your knowledge. Recall your best words instantly and repeatedly. Learn more at textexpander.com forward slash podcast. And we'd also like to thank ServeNow, a nationwide network of trusted, pre-screened process servers. Work with the most professional process servers who have experience with high-volume serves, embrace technology, and understand the litigation process. Visit servenow.com to learn more. In our last episode, we discussed our approach to buying new laptops and tablets for those of you now in the market. In this episode, we go back to our roots and look at the websites we now use, how the way we use websites has changed over the years, and share some of the websites we now rely upon and why. Tom, what's all on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will indeed be discussing websites, and it won't be just 20 websites in 20 minutes. It'll be, I think, a more interesting discussion than that. In the second segment, we'll talk about... Uh, how lawyers might use online survey and polling apps in their practice or for other purposes. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, websites and our current approaches to using them. I have to admit, Dennis, when you suggested this as a topic, I was a little bit conflicted. As we'll get into it further, I really don't think I use websites the same way I used to use them in the past. I was really hard to think about sites that I keep coming back to on a regular basis to talk about for this episode. Uh, Dennis, you wanted to do something other than just listing our favorite sites, as people might expect in some 60 sites in 60 minutes presentation. What do you exactly have in mind for this? So my first idea was I really like the idea of lists of what's in my backpack or some people call them everyday carry where somebody just talks about what they carry around in their pockets or in their backpack. And I, I find that can be really useful. So some people also do, uh, we'll talk about what apps are on their home screen, on their phones. And so I thought this might be a good time to look at what are the websites I actually use that are sort of in my bookmarks in this uh, folder I call popular, which I think is the default thing, but it's those sort of the ones that I, I return to. And as I looked at that, I realized that, as you said, Tom, I, we use websites in such a different way than we used to many years ago and, and maybe even a few years ago. There's just so many other options that come into play, whether it's apps, it's podcasts, it's videos, it's RSS feeds, all sorts of different things. And so that notion of saying like, oh, here's a website that I go to actually happens a lot less often than I thought. So I don't know, is that the conclusion you started to find yourself moving toward as well, Tom? Oh, it absolutely is. I mean, I think what I realized is that my use of the web is now, I would say, 
strictly transactional when it comes to websites. I have a specific need and a specific website that fits that need, and then I'm done with it. I went back and I've got a ton of bookmarks that are still in Chrome that I've just kind of laid there since I put them, gosh knows how many years ago, but I rarely use them. I, I don't think I've used many of them in years. I will, I think, and we'll get into this more, I'll use an app more often than I'll go to a website. I hardly ever, for social media, go to Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. I will say I do visit LinkedIn. We'll talk about that more a little bit later, but I do visit that website more often than anything else. But I'm more inclined to go to the app than to the website. Now, I think the one that I keep bookmarks for are actually the sites that I need to visit, but I can't remember the URL or it's not easy to remember. For example, at work, we use a web-based timekeeping tool and our landing page has this dedicated URL that is super complicated and I don't remember how to get to it. The URL is just too long, so I'll keep a bookmark for that. But, you know, I went into <laughs> to my bookmarks and I can count on the fingers of one hand the number of sites that I might visit on a semi-regular basis that I keep there. Otherwise, I just don't use websites the same way that I used to in the past. So I noticed that some of my bookmarks are the same sort of thing. Like I bookmark the folder in two bookmarks I use. So in there, they're both in Google Drive and one is bookmarked to where we put the podcast recordings to and, and the other is where you and I share documents because I, you know, it just is easier to click one thing and go there. And see, and I, I interrupt because I'll say, I don't even do that. I just type in drive.google.com and it brings up the page that has both of those things on them immediately. So it's because I know that, that I don't even think about keeping a bookmark for that. So even we think about that in different ways. Yeah. And, and I would say I might even end up where you were if I remember to type drive.google.com <laughs> instead of docs.google.com, which yeah, I have it, a yeah, tendency right. to that's do. Right. Then also have a couple of new sites for when I teach at Michigan State. And so those are sort of complicated URLs, so it's just easier for me to do a bookmark for that. But one of the things you talked about is I do this thing that I think you were talking about, Tom, which is that I might go to a website for a while, but I look to transition to an app fairly quickly if it's available. So you might say, oh, there's this, the banking website. Well, once there's an app and once that app will allow me to scan a check and deposit it, I'm never going back to that website. I'm always using the app. So, so I think there's the website is sort of this starting point mainly. And then you transition to an app or you decide that you just don't want to go back to it. So I don't know, Tom, should we just start with the list of, of sites that as we thought through what we actually used and why that we wanted to list? I think probably what's going to happen is you're going to list the sites that you had in your original list and I'm going to mock you or bring up <laughs> or bring up sites of my own that are kind of related to it because to be honest I I really struggled coming up with sites so I'm going to I'm going to have a response to everything you talk about but it may just not be the response you're expecting I don't know if I'm ready for this mocking thing but there's no mocking there there'll be no mocking so let me let me jump in so first of all I do what I usually do when somebody asks me for websites is I totally cheat on the first one. And so I say the, the, the website I return to again and again is Feedly, which undercuts the whole notion of website and going to website because uh, Feedly allows me to subscribe to RSS feeds, which means I never have to. So I get all the content from all, all these blogs and things that I follow where they have a feed and I never have to go to those pages. There's probably some things in there that I only ever went to the website once 
to get the information to subscribe in Feedly. And this is the perfect experience for me and has been for, for, I don't know, it could be close to 20 years that I've been using RSS. I don't want to go out and look at, you know, like 100, 200 different websites and, you know, or load that many tabs. I just want to go to one place and have that content as it comes in new, you know, appear before me. And so that is still to this day, even with apps and all the other things going on, it's the RSS feed and an RSS reader that is is my major way of using the web. Although I do sometimes find that Feedly is not necessarily the first thing I go to in the day. I might go to the social media sites or even social media apps before I go to Feedly. So that has changed a bit. But I think that important notion of a website that brings you, that collects and aggregates new information for you so you don't have to do the work makes it the most important website for me. Well, that's it. And that's why I think I had trouble with this whole exercise for this for this podcast is that I do rely so much on RSS. So I don't visit 300 sites a day. They all visit me. You know, we say news that comes to you. And um, I won't re- kind of repeat what you've been saying because I, I agree with everything. I think that why visit all these websites? Why go to look at them when you can make it so much more efficient and have it come to you? Now, I will say I do augment like you. I do augment that with I'm not quite at the point where a lot of people are, where they're getting all of their news from Twitter or from other uh, social media sources. But I will augment that because I tend to find that I can consume that a lot quicker than I can some of my feeds because I tend to oversubscribe to information. Yeah, I, I do rely on, on Twitter for uh, as my main source of fake news, though, because I think uh, it's it is a good great source, resource although face- for that. Facebook is pretty good for <laughs> fake news as well. I get Facebook perhaps is even better. So the second one, and this goes to like the very specific functionality. And so I have a a cluster of sites that I look at, which are for uh, financial matters and investments. So as part of my 401k at MasterCard, I have this self-directed account, which is at TD Ameritrade. And the TD Ameritrade website is so great because it provides all this in Morningstar and other investment information. It's like a dashboard. And so it's it's really convenient. And I'm not an active investor by any means, but it's sort of a great place to look at as I rebalance from time to time and, and look at, at new investments. And then I, I've started to combine that with a site called Personal Capital. And there's another one that's uh, called Mint.com, which is another way to to take your financial life and put it up in the cloud and and make it so you can tie bank accounts and other things. And you can see a dashboard of all the stuff you do. So as we've kind of moved away from, you know, like in the early days of PCs, people using Quicken and stuff like that and, you know, tracking every expense that they did. These are sort of the new set of tools. And then in combination with that, there are the banking sites, which actually are you know, I've turned into great apps after 
after a number of years when you kind of wondered what the banks were doing, but now they're actually very useful tools. And there's a podcast that's uh, tied to PBS called Wealth Track, which is a nice half hour podcast that comes on the weekends with the interviews with the you know leading investors. And that set of sites, I would almost uh, you know bookmark together anytime that I would want to look at financial things. And those would be a set of sites that I would go to, but you know, very specific personal reasons with a great utility. So I think that financial sites are the ones that are on the list of websites that are listed in my bookmarks because I do have a couple of retirement accounts, a couple of investment accounts at places that they don't have apps. If there was an app, I'd be there, but they don't. And so I'm I'm logging into websites and look at that information. I have heard great things about personal capital. It's a great tool, but I'm also going to tell you, I'm I'm the guy still using Quicken. I use Quicken to track. I mean, it's my digital checkbook. I'm not writing checks. I'm not doing anything. I'm keeping it all digitally, but um, I still manage my accounts to the penny to make sure that I've got all my expenses and everything right. I just don't put it up in the cloud because I'm keeping it there. It's not that I don't don't want to. It's that I just don't see any value in keeping it in two different places. So I don't do much on those financial sites. And frankly, like you said, I'll use the app on my phone for my bank to deposit a check or to make a payment before I do it online. But um, I would say that's it's also one area where I do spend some time on the web. And so I think those are examples of how instead of going to website for information, we're now seeing websites as an actual tool that we use, which brings us to the next one, which I I go to, although I consume in RSS a lot, which is Cool Tools, which we mention a lot on the podcast. But it's just a great resource for uh, reviews of really interesting tools and other things that uh, can be really handy. And there's a podcast that goes with it, other information. So that is a site that I will return to to get extra uh, information, even though I'm, I'm listening to the podcast on a regular basis. And I usually go back to the website for, for show notes and I also consume it through RSS. So it's probably transitioning out of a site to visit for me, but uh, it's an important one for me as sort of my main place to identify new types of tools that I might use. Okay, I lied. This is the one time that I am going to mock you. I'm going to say, why visit the website? You said it yourself. Why visit the website when, one, you can subscribe to their RSS feed and get all the information. Two, you can listen to the podcast. Or three, even subscribe to their Recommendo newsletter. Now, it's not really strictly tied to cool tools, but they have lots of tools in there and and they have other great things every week. We've talked about the Recommendo newsletter here on the podcast before. You know, with those three sources, I literally never visit the website or have a need to do it. So here's my answer. So I have a tendency to listen to the Cool Tools podcast when I'm driving from Ann Arbor to Lansing to teach my class. So sometimes I let them stack up a little bit. But what I find is one of the inherent problems of podcasts is that, and especially whether recommending something, is that you got to remember it. And so unless you've 
are going to write something down while you're driving on the highway, which I won't do. And there's not a great way to, I mean, I guess you can do voice recorder notes, but I, they've never been quite as successful as, as I would like on that. And I got to remember to go back to them. But that's why I would go to the site is to check the show notes later to say, oh, what was that thing they were talking about? Because I f- forgot it, you know, when I remember it in the evening after I've driven there and back. Fair enough. I'm going to I'm going to mention one site that I do use because I, I feel the need to actually list a site that I use. I mentioned before, I don't visit Facebook or Twitter, or Instagram or those places on the Web. But you know what? I do spend quite a bit of time on LinkedIn. I do a lot of research these days on both my clients, on other people. We're reaching out to other organizations to talk to them about information governance. And I got to tell you, there's I've upgraded probably to an account that I really can't sustain affording because it's pretty expensive. But I get tons of great information from LinkedIn and I will spend quite a bit of time learning about people, what they do from their companies. You know, a lot of, I know a lot of people are not fans of LinkedIn as, as a tool, I guess, present company accepted. But um, I get quite a lot of value of it for what we need for work. Yeah, I agree. I, I use LinkedIn um, in the web format and as apps. And so to me, it's indispensable for many reasons. I, I mean, I wrote a book about it, so that shouldn't surprise anybody. Then I think there's a couple of sites that I use in unexpected ways. So these are common sites. So I use Amazon, not It's more value to me as a place to record and take notes of things that I might buy or that I see reviews of. I put them onto wish lists and then I comb through those when I actually do an Amazon order. So it's a great way. And sometimes when I hear a new book's coming out, I'll just put it on the wish list. So Amazon is kind of taking the place of maybe a Google even or some other things as a place where I know I'm storing things that I might look interesting to me that I might buy at some point. So that's one thing. And the other one I've really grown to rely on a lot more than I ever expected is, is Wikipedia. And that's another Google reaction. So I think what Google, someone once explained what Google does really well to me. And it says like, if you're doing a search, it returns pages that might have your answer somewhere contained on them. Whereas I think a lot of times you just want the answer and Google's moving somewhat in that direction. But I think that for a lot of things, Wikipedia does a better job of that for me. So I'd rather do the search in Wikipedia and see what the Wikipedia entry says, you know, with the caveats about, you know, trusting information in Wikipedia. But for the most part, you know, if you're just saying like, who's that actor in some other show? You know, I'm, I'm much happier doing that search in Wikipedia than Google. So almost to my surprise, that kind of reminds me back in the old days of Yahoo as a search engine. But I use Wikipedia as a search engine for certain things. Well, I got to tell you, um, it sounds to me like you haven't used Google in a while because... Google actually, I think, has gotten really good at answering specific questions. And I would say nine times out of 10, the actual answer is from Wikipedia. But I think nowadays, and frankly, where it happens for me more often is, is that I've I've usually got a Google Home somewhere near me or my phone, and I just ask Google a question. And most of the time, there'll be a card at the very top. Instead of getting links that might have the answer, it's a card at the top that's 
trying to answer the question. Now, sometimes it doesn't get it right every single time, but I think it's pretty darn accurate. And most of the time when it's describing something, it's from Wikipedia. I, I think I'm comfortable. I mean, I'm, I'm using both, I think, but uh, I'm not sure where you come up with the Google not doing it because it works fine for me. But I've just cut out Google as the middle person on that. I just go right to the source. No, um, you're just wasting your time because I'm just talking <laughs> to Google and it's getting me the same information. <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry I criticized Google. I really I know. Don't. don't ever do that again. Next up for me is something that I find incredibly useful. And I will go to these two sites over and over again. And, and one is called Unsplash and the other is called Pexels, P-E-X-E-L-S. And what they are are crowdsourced photography sites. Uh, I would call them stock photography is the best way to think about it. But these are sites where photographers have donated pictures under really friendly licenses. So you can use them in presentations and they're high quality photos. You can search by, you know, keyword for concepts, other things. You know, say you have a slide you want to talk about, oh, this is a bridge between this and that. You can find a bunch of great photos of bridges and they're free and you have a license that you know you can use it. And it just makes putting together presentation slides such a pleasure because you don't have to figure out like, oh, is this license? Do I need to get permissions on, on this stuff? And it's all in one place and uh, great search tools. And I find myself going back to the these two sites all the time. I don't use those sites. I, I've been hooked on iStock Photo for a long time. It's owned by Getty Images. I find that it has the most images. It has so much more. I went, um, I was kind of testing out how it measures up against Unsplash and Pexels. It has a lot more images, but the trade-off there is you're going to pay and you're going to pay a lot for it. it. It's not the cheapest site out there. I like it because I get good variety. I find the pictures that I need. I'm not just doing things for like presentations that I'm giving on, on technology stuff, but things that I'm doing for clients and for training sessions that we give uh, to our clients. And I think that, I think frankly, any type of stock photography site ought to be in your bookmarks, no matter whether you're, you're doing it free or, or you're willing to pay a, f a few dollars for it. I want to just end, I guess, Tom, on, on two quick things I wanted to mention. So one is what I've always been looking for my, my whole time on the internet. And there was a time, I think it was uh, called, when Google was doing this, I think it was called My Google. But basically, I'm looking for an aggregator page. It's a dashboard where I can add, you know, the news sources, weather, other information all in one place. So I just go to that one place and then scan through that page, you know, sports scores, all that sort of thing. So I don't have to go to a bunch of different places. And I've always wanted that. And those sites have all, always seemed to die off. And I guess about six months ago, I tried my Yahoo again, and it just didn't take for me. So I'm looking for that personalized dashboardy aggregator site. So if I find one, I'll always go to that. And then the other thing is that I thought about it is the time the whole notion of bookmarks has changed. I, th I think that, that with the advent of Evernote and OneNote and web clipping, and the way that URLs change and the link rot that we've talked about before, the clipping is actually a, a much better approach than bookmarking these days. And that, I think that's changed our approach to using the web as well. Well, you know, I'll say that when it comes to having a, that personalized look, I will say that Google, I think, has 
come very close to getting that right in an app form rather than on the web. I'm not sure that it's available on all phones, but on my Pixel phone, I have a customized feed that has my weather, it has all my sports scores, it has news that's related to stuff that I search for, that I've told them that I like. It is amazingly accurate in the sort of stuff that it gets me. It's really the news that I really want to see. It's the closest to that kind of aggregated, personalized feed that I've had. It is in an app and it's not available to everybody but I I really like it. And I got to tell you, I think I prefer clipping over bookmarking, but I really think that they serve different purposes. At least for me, they do. Clipping is when I want to save something for reference and maybe come back to it later. Bookmarking is a site that I need to return to for a specific purpose every now and again. So I kind of use those as two different things, but I do tend to agree that clipping tends to be more of the future than bookmarking because we see a lot more happening in the clipping area and a lot less of the, you know, I've looked for those bookmarking tools and they just don't exist anymore. I mean, even Google makes it hard to bookmark sites in the Chrome browser. So I would tend to agree that clipping is starting to take more prominence. I guess I just wrap this up real quick by saying that I think part of the reason why I have trouble relating to the sites is that I'm less and less convinced that there are destination websites these days, that there are websites that are must visit on a daily basis, because I find that RSS and social media are increasingly eliminating the need to do that. And I'm betting that most people are letting social media serve as their bookmarking or their website discovery service as well, which I think is why I had such trouble coming up with the right sites for this uh, segment. But before we move on to our next segment, let's take a break for a quick message from our sponsors. Text Expander is a productivity multiplier. Lawyers love Text Expander because with a short abbreviation or search while typing, Text Expander can produce cover emails for invoices or signing instructions, insert templates for consistent meeting notes, perform accurate date math on the fly, and instantly present things you retype all the time. Text Expander runs on Macs, iPhones, iPads, and Windows and works in any application. Visit textexpander.com slash podcast for 20% off your first year. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. I've really gotten interested in getting feedback from my various audiences, and that includes the students in my classes. And that's taken me to surveys and live polling apps. So I recently used SurveyMonkey to help in naming the new blog newsletter I'll be launching. I also use Poll Everywhere in my class and might start using it in my presentations generally. Many webinars I've been on lately use live polling, and, and I find that really useful. And I just wanted to start experimenting in even more ways with surveys. So, Tom, our first survey question today is, what do you think about using these tools? 
Well, I've been using survey tools for a long time. Um, I started out, well, I probably started out with other stuff that I can't even remember years ago, but the first survey tools that I would use would be the very simple ones that are contained with Google Forms. So if you want to go experiment with creating a simple online survey that's easy for people to answer, um, then go to Google Forms. Um, it's free. You can create a few questions and share them with people in just a few minutes. I've used that as a survey tool for, uh, I'm using it to this day as a survey tool. It's quick and easy to use. But, you know, for work, we also use SurveyMonkey extensively. I really like its flexibility and its power. I like that it can create surveys that are smart, that branch off in different directions, depending on how someone answers the question. So I think it can sometimes be a little overwhelming how much how many features it has, especially if you've got a paid account. Like you, I have used Poll Everywhere in just a couple of presentations, not very often, but I like that too. And here's the reason why I think all of this boils down to participation. Getting someone's participation in something, whether it's gathering data for research, whether it's just asking all your friends the best weekend for a party, it's an easy way to engage people and quickly get responses, which makes the conversation, less of a one-way conversation and more, more of a direct interaction. And I think that's why you're seeing all the social media tools come up with polls too. I mean, Facebook has polls, Instagram has polls. I see polls now in the Nextdoor app that I use to read information about my neighborhood. And I, I think there are a lot of uses that lawyers really can and should be making with these surveys. I mean, you, just starting with a basic client satisfaction survey. I mean, that's kind of a no-brainer about how to use these uh, in a law practice. I, I don't know, Dennis, what your thoughts are, but I I think they're definitely worth experimenting with. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm using a free SurveyMonkey account. It just sort of limits the the length of the survey you have, but it has a really nice templates and it looks super professional and you can boil down a lot of, of things into just a couple of questions that'd be really helpful to you. And I, I think the one of the big criticisms lawyers get these days is not paying attention to what their clients actually want and just making a lot of assumptions about that. So the simple surveys can do a lot. I also, I thought the poll everywhere thing was really interesting because I'm one of those speakers who has tended to say, like, how many of you have done this? And, you know, how many people are, you know, from a small firm, that sort of thing. And sometimes you, especially if you're talking about security or, you know, other things like that, the raising the hands is not, it's intimidating to people and you probably don't get good information because people don't want to look bad. But if you're doing a, a, a survey of a class, for example, or of an audience that's anonymous, but just gives the results, it's great. And you also get this feedback on whether people are understanding concepts or it gives you this information because of the because uh, you're getting data that's good and it's anonymous, so people are willing to give a good answer. So if you ask about people, you know, how do you rate yourself on security on your security uh, efforts, and you say how many are great, how many are okay, how many are terrible, how many people say I just want to hide under the table. If you ask that and ask people to raise their hands, you're not going to get any answers in the bottom categories. But if you do the the poll the live poll that's anonymous, you're probably, you're going to get those answers and then you can tailor the information that you're giving in that presentation uh, better to the audience. So I think it's a lot of really interesting uses and I'm interested in the sort of small, you know, one, two, three question, quick survey 
you know, to maybe do a little market research or to see what people want or to make adjustments to what you're doing. Like I said, I used it to try to get some insight in naming a, a newsletter. So I'm bullish on these. And I remember time, I remember early days when you were using Google Forms. I just like SurveyMonkey because it, it just, uh, I mean, use Google Forms a long time, but it just seems so easy and so professional looking. And that's what I like. So now it's time for our parting shots, that one tip website or observation you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. So I am a Microsoft OneNote user, but I noticed this week that uh, I think the nearest competitor to OneNote or maybe that considers OneNote its competitor is Evernote. Evernote came out this week with a template site. And all I can say is it's about time because I've always enjoyed watching how just individual users have come up with nice templates to use within Evernote. And now they're actually advertising and giving away for free templates on the Evernote website. And there's categories for templates for creative writing, if you use the GTD, the getting things done, for management resources, for marketing and sales, for planning and holding meetings, for project management, for travel. There's a ton of different templates that make it easier to keep notes rather than just opening up a note in Evernote and starting to type. It actually has some organization, makes it easy to read. It's also pleasing on the eye. It's And best of all, it's free to use, uh, obviously, if you're an Evernote account user. So it's a uh, Evernote.com slash templates. I'll put a link in the show notes. Tom, I have two quick ones. Actually, one quick one. One might be a little bit longer, but one of the books I assigned for our, my uh, law school class in entrepreneurial lawyering is uh, The E-Myth Attorney by Michael Gerber. And what a great book. I mean, this goes into uh, the business of practice, how you organize a practice for business and to take care of yourself and to make money and be profitable and think about the right things. And uh, it's just a revelation to me reading it now. I feel like for 35 years, I kind of uh, was doing things the wrong way. And it's, uh, I just recommend it to anybody who's a lawyer, just to, as, especially people who have the, the idea of like, oh, I could go out on my own someday. This is the book that's a, a must for that. So Michael Gerber, E-Myth Attorney, can't recommend it enough. The second thing is, Tom, you and I were talking about stress and a lot of people in the legal profession are talking about stress and people talk about mindfulness and meditation and, and different things like that. And for kind of hard-driven professionals, I think those ideas can be really difficult. So yesterday, I, as I do a couple times a year, I do this thing used to be called the sensory deprivation tanks. Now it's just usually known as, as floating. But the idea is you're going into a tank that has watered its body temperature. It's full of salt. So you float without doing anything. It's a dark room. You have earplugs in or you can use music. And the notion is that this allows you to relax in a profound way. So the new place I'm trying in uh, Bloom uh, Fitness in Ann Arbor, which I highly recommend, starts it off with uh, about 20 minutes in a, in a really fancy massage chair to help relax you. And then you do about 60 minutes in the float tank. And um, it's great for 
body relaxation and helps clear my mind, helps me think better. Like I was telling Tom, I was incredibly productive today after doing the float yesterday. So I do it every few months. It runs about, in St. Louis, it tend to be $60 here. It's about, it's about $90. So definitely, you know, if you're thinking, I can't do the meditation thing, I'd like to find some way to relax. This There's good research on, on how this works. And if you have a float place in the city you live, it's worth an experiment. You know, like I said, a couple times a year. And I would just say that for me, if you're looking for a gift to give uh, one of your favorite podcasters, a gift certificate for, uh, for floats would be uh, much appreciated. Sounds like a very good idea. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site, where you can find archives of all of our previous podcasts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can always reach out to us on social media with LinkedIn or Twitter, uh, or leave us a voicemail. Our voicemail number is 720-441-6820. We love to get questions to answer during our podcast. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts, and we'll see you next time for another episode of the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.